Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Guys, welcome again to RUF. I'm so glad you made it out. Thanks for coming, even though the weather is not great and it's a busy time of the, you know, settling in and figuring things out. I'm so glad you're here. And um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And what is RUF? RUF is a Christian community on campus. And what we mean by that is, first of all, we look to Jesus for our truth, for our life. Um, and what it means to be a Christian community is that it's a welcoming community. So we want RUF to uh, be about Jesus and also be about welcoming people in, uh, maybe some people who have questions about Jesus or uh, don't consider themselves followers of Jesus, but yet would like to ask questions. And so we welcome that. And you know, if you're here and you, uh, do have faith in Jesus, uh, this is a great place to grow and to serve. And so it's my hope that uh, if, if that's you, this would be a place where you could call home and this would be a place where uh, you could really grow in your time at UConn and also join us in what we're doing, uh, which is trying to reach more people on the campus, bringing in friends, serving in various ways. There's a lot of opportunities to help us out in what we do and serve. So uh, I really hope that for many of you, this will be like your community this year, your people, uh, your ministry. And uh, so that's what we do. I mean, that's what we're about. And what we do, oh, Taylor mentioned small groups where we read the Bible and we look to the Bible for our truth, for our answers. And so we meet in small groups throughout the week and each week uh, when we meet up, we look at the Bible as well here uh, at our weekly large group. And another thing we do is we meet one-on-one. Uh, RUF is really a lot about one-on-one hanging out. Um, so in particular, myself and Taylor and Sophie really want to know you guys, uh, walk with you through life, um, hear what's going on, point you to Jesus where we can, uh, help you make sense of the Bible, and we really love doing that one-on-one, and we love when people in RUF are into meeting up one-on-one. So uh, I hope you'll uh, take us up on that, and if, if we reach out to you and say, hey, let's meet up, uh, that's why, because we really want to know you and walk with you. So don't be weirded out by that. Uh, if it happens, uh, welcome it. It will be good, I promise. Um, and also, uh, we have a free book for you back there if you didn't get it, so... Grab a copy. It's a great book to read. It's got 20, it's short and it has 21 chapters. So they're all like bite size. It's kind of like, a, you know, you could read a chapter every morning or every night and it's not too much to take on. And it's just going to be really good for your heart and for your soul. So with that said, let's look at our passage from the Bible tonight. And uh, if you didn't know, if uh, you hadn't heard, we're going through different parables that Jesus told this semester. And Jesus taught in parables uh, these stories that he told to convey a deep meaning, to really kind of drive a point to the heart. And I'm calling this series we're doing Upside Down Stories because 
Uh, a lot of the times when Jesus would tell a parable, like some of the famous ones, like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Sons or other ones, uh, it would really kind of turn on its head, these stories, uh, people's notions of what it means to believe and who God is and what God's kingdom is like. And so um, I think I'm really excited to be going through these all together uh, this semester, and we're going to look at a parable, a short, one of the shortest parables tonight called the parable of the two debtors. And I'm going to read our passage for us, and then we'll spend some time looking at it. So let me read it for us. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me, my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray for us briefly, and then we'll spend some time in this text. Uh, Father, guide us now as we look at your word. Uh, apply it to our hearts by your spirit, and make us different tonight because we interacted with your word. Uh, guide these students through uh, tonight and every night this semester. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, when you think of people that have really modeled what it is to love God and love others, I wonder who you think of. Think of someone. Uh, when I think of, you know, someone who really loves God, really loves God, like someone who came, I heard about someone recently, uh, his name is Chris Granberry, and he runs a ministry called Sacred Road Ministries, and Taylor knows about this. He's been there. It's on the Yakima Reservation in Washington State. And he's just a guy from like Alabama or something. And he visited this reservation. And to give you an idea, this reservation, the life expectancy of people on this Native American reservation is 39. 75% uh, of the teenagers that live on the reservation are technically homeless and most have been sexually abused. Uh, and so when he visited, he felt compelled to move his whole family to this reservation and help. And he helped so much that, you know, he started at a church and he started an orphanage and he does all this stuff to help them. But he, they gave him a, the tribal name Mool Mool, 
which is the name of the oasis where there's fresh water nearby there. Um, I heard another story about there's a TNT basketball broadcaster named Ernie Johnson, uh, kind of sports guy. He does all the NBA broadcasts and uh, been around for a while, and he happens to be a Christian. And he was telling the story of uh, him and his wife feeling compelled to go to Romania because they had heard about the poor condition of orphanages there. And so they went, and when they went, they, were, uh, they saw a child, and the workers in the, in the conditions are horrible. It's just like a warehouse, and all these kids have needs. And they came across one, and the worker said, that one's no good. Don't adopt that one. And they said, well, bring him home. And so they brought home a special needs child with muscular dystrophy whom Ernie Johnson bathed every day into adulthood uh, with all kinds of problems. And they entered into it. They brought him home. It's just amazing. I don't know who else you think of. Uh, maybe you think of Mother Teresa, who voluntarily went to India to live in poverty and minister there. You know, all kinds of people have done amazing things. And if, you, if you're like me, you marvel at these people. Uh, but you also wonder, like, could that be me, though? You know, could that be my community that I live in, uh, that I go through life with like could, could I do something like that and I kind of think like I don't know if it could be me and so it raises the question of where does that kind of love come from where's great love how can I live an immense a life of immense love and the answer that this text gives that we just read is different than most of us would think uh, because this is still near the beginning of Jesus's ministry and uh, Jesus has already attracted attention to himself by the religious leaders because of how open his message is, like to all kinds of people. And he's been talking about the forgiveness of sins and offering it to bad people, like tax collectors. And there's these well-respected Pharisees, these religious people that everyone thought were pretty great. And they're kind of like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you with us? Like, do you serve the God that we Serve. And so that's what's going on in this text at the start of it. He gets, Jesus gets invited to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. And Simon's probably trying to figure out, like, yo, Jesus, what are you, are you like, on board with God's, what God's doing, what we think God's doing? And so Jesus shows up at their house, and he gets publicly humiliated. And we know that because the host does nothing to welcome him. Uh, it says later in the passage, like a normal greeting would be in that time was you, you go to someone's house and they kiss you on the face and they sit you down and they uh, wash your hands and feet with water and olive oil and they would say grace and then you would recline. And so the welcome that Jesus is get, gets is akin to like if you showed up at my house and I invited you to dinner and you, I opened the door and you're on my porch and I said, hey, and I turned around and walked away. Like, what would you think? You would, wouldn't you be like, am I well? You invited me, right? Like, am I welcome here? And despite that lack of welcome, despite the fact that they're purposely trying to treat Jesus like a nobody, Jesus comes in. And it says there's a woman there. And it says she's a woman of the city who was a sinner, which is code for prostitute. And so this prostitute's there. And from the end of the story, we know that she was there the whole time. And so she would have seen Jesus get publicly humiliated in this way. And this is a woman who's come specifically to see Jesus. She's brought her, like, really, really, really expensive perfume. 
And she's probably heard him talking about forgiveness to sinners. And she's probably, she's received his message and now she's trying to get near him to give thanks to him. Uh, and so she somehow makes it into this gap. We don't know if she snuck into the dinner or what, but she's somehow there. And so when she sees that they snub him like that, she has to take matters into her own hands. Uh, a while back, I was in New York City. Anybody like going to New York City? Just to see stuff, walk around. Yeah, I love it. And I was walking in New York City alone one time, meeting a friend for lunch, rainy, drizzly day, kind of like tonight. And I was walking down the sidewalk, and I passed someone. Not that many people out on the sidewalk. And I passed someone who walks right by me, and I look at him in the face, and I know immediately who it is. It's Ben Folds, the rock star. Uh, I don't know if you're a Ben Folds fan. I, I mean, he's kind of like my generation. Like, if you went to high school when I did, you would definitely be into Ben Folds. I think he's great. And so I'm walk- so I, but I pass him, right? So I'm walking in the opposite direction to him, thinking, like, that was Ben Folds. He's walking alone. What do I do? And, uh, and finally I say, i got to turn around. And so I turn around. I speed walk back to him. I sidle up to him next to him. It's just me and him on the sidewalk, me and Ben Folds. And I look over at him like this, like a stalker, and I say, hey, you're Ben Folds, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, my name's Lucas, and I think you're great, and, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm a big fan, just so you know, like, I'm big, I just want to let you know I'm a big fan. And he was like, oh, thanks. And I was like, okay, see you later. And I kept walking my other way. But, you know, the point is I felt compelled to do something because of who he was and what he meant to me, Okay. Um, we need to see on a much, much, much bigger scale that's happening in this story with this woman. And we need to see her scrambling. Like, she wasn't prepared to be the only one to, like, know who this is and to show him the honor that he deserved. In the process, though, she's heaping shame on herself. We know that because her hair is down. In the Middle East, like, even today in Middle Eastern culture, like, a husband doesn't see his wife's hair until the wedding night. Uh, shameful in this culture to show your hair. Uh, so, you know, in our society, like, translate that to today, this is a woman who's, like, taken off her shirt to wash Jesus' feet. So she's heaping shame, she, shame on herself, but she's willing to look worse so that Jesus will get the honor that he deserves. And so there she is making a, this foot washing with, like, tears and hair, and it's weird and awkward and you know the pharisees are thinking like yeah i knew it jesus like something is wrong with jesus we need to straighten jesus out she's clearly this is a sinner and god would definitely have nothing to do with her okay so jesus knows what she's thinking though what what he's thinking the the pharisee simon and and so in response he tells this parable that we read the short parable and it's a simple one right there's two debtors. One owes 50 denarii. It's two months' wages for like a farm laborer. And there's one who owes 500 denarii, so 20 months' wages. So let's say two months versus two years for like a laborer. And both of their debt, the moneylender cancels both of their debts. And then Jesus says, well, who will love the lender more? And the answer is easy, right? Obviously, the one who had the bigger debt canceled. But then Jesus takes it a step further and he says, you know what? That parable is about what's happening right here in this woman's heart and in your heart. And so what I want to look at in this brief parable is just three quick things. A new understanding of faith, a new understanding of sin, and a new understanding of God. So first of all, a new understanding of faith. 
Um, we see it in the woman, right? Faith in God and love for God are first rooted in knowing our need of him. Uh, the woman's life is a mess. It's just like obviously a mess. Like a lot has gone wrong in her life, and yet she's heard something in Jesus' message that she knows is for her. Uh, this woman has heard Jesus teach and responded because she knows that she needs this. Uh, she's certain that there's no way she's going to get close to God apart from the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And so, you know, um, for her, it's not about getting, you know, if I take these three steps, I can get my life back on track. Uh, you know, like, think about the debt. If you're like a farmer, you're never going to work off 20 months of wages. Like, you're never going to do that. In other words, her only hope is Jesus. Uh, I have a friend, older friend, who a while back, many years back now, he went to the doctor because he was tired all the time. He was just like, I feel more tired than I usually do. And what he found out, so he went to the doctor to see, like, why am I tired all the time? And they ran some tests. And what they found out is that his problem wasn't fatigue. His problem was, like, he has leukemia. And the type of leukemia he has, there's no cure for it. The only hope is that you just have a long remission. Like, maybe you can live a long time. You'll, all, you'll still have leukemia. It's probably going to kill you someday. Uh, but maybe you can live. But there's no cure. In other words, he needs a miracle. And in this story, this is a woman who's come to realize that she has leukemia of the heart. Uh, there's no cure for her apart from Jesus. Uh, and then Jesus came along and set her free. And so when she sees him, she can't help but to pour out her love on him. Uh, she expresses her love because of what he's worth to her, which is everything. Um, and what the parable makes clear is that the faith and the love, are, they're a result of the forgiveness. You know, it, it can be, you might switch it around and think like, well, Jesus forgave her because of how much she loved him. And that's backwards. Uh, she's not groveling before him trying to earn his love. Uh, she has already received it, his forgiveness. And so her response of love is the result of the forgiveness. Um, and we see that in verse 47 when Jesus says her sins have been forgiven because she's loved much. And he who's forgiven little loves little. Um, okay, so faith isn't about having a life that looks pretty good and feeling good about yourself. It's about knowing you really need Jesus badly and then throwing yourself on him, resting on him, clinging to him like this woman. Okay, so... Um, for this woman, she's not like obligated to love Jesus. She just can't help but to love him. Uh, and so this is God's message for outsider. I don't know where you come from tonight. I don't know all of you. Um, I don't know what your summer was like. Maybe your summer was like a massive failure. Or maybe uh, you don't know what God thinks of you or how God could forgive you. Or would people want to know you if they knew the real you? And what I want to say to you is, if that's you, come to Jesus. You can't outsin His grace. You can't outsin His forgiveness. Come to God with your sin, which is a counterintuitive thing to do because often what we think we need to do is approach God like a dentist. Anybody go to the dentist recently? Some people, okay. I have a dentist appointment coming up soon, and which is why I'm thinking about it because whenever I have a dentist appointment, like I see it on the calendar and I think, oh no. I haven't been flossing enough. 
you know, and then I do this thing where, like, I try to make up for, like, six months of not flossing <laughs> by flossing in, like, the final week before the appointment, which is, like, you know, these are dental professionals. Like, they can tell <laughs> what that is. But, you know, I play this game with the dentist uh, where I want to, I try to, like, scramble to clean up myself before I have to see him or her. Uh, because I don't want to need them. I want to be able to be okay on my own. And, you know, it's a silly thing, and it doesn't matter that much with a dentist, but with God, it makes all the difference. Um, you can come to God with your mess. In fact, you should come to God with your mess, because you'll never clean yourself up enough. Uh, so those who have great faith aren't necessarily the ones that are put together. Those who have great faith, growing in faith, starts... Uh, growing in love starts with becoming serious about acknowledging and confessing sin rather than covering it up. Okay, so new understanding of faith. But now a new understanding of sin. Okay, and that's, we see it in Simon, the, this other guy, the Pharisee. Um, what he shows us is that it's possible to live an outwardly really good-looking life and have that actually be the best way to avoid God. Uh, how can you avoid God? You can live a nice, tidy life, and you can keep telling, telling yourself, I'm doing fine, I don't need God. Uh, think about, like, and the reason we do this is because it's called pride. We avoid God because I don't want to be a big debtor. I don't want to be the massive debtor. I'd rather just, like, play that game with God where I floss before the dentist appointment, right? But the problem is we're all huge debtors. And the one way we actually prove it is by all the cover-up operations we do, the perfectionism, the grabbing for control of things that are uncontrollable, uh, the facades we put on to prove, like, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, when we know we're not, uh, the anxiety that so many of us deal with as a result. And there's great, this is a really ironic story here, what the Pharisee's doing. He's condemning this woman for her sin. And it's ironic because he's the one who's like in bigger sin in this moment. And she has been set free to love. Uh, one of my favorite old movies, which anybody seen this movie? Dumb and Dumber, old comedy. Um, it's about a limo driver. It starts out, there's this limo driver played by Jim Carrey. His name is Lloyd Christmas. In the first scene of the movie, he's driving a woman to the airport who is delivering a ransom payment for her kidnapped husband. He doesn't know that, though. He's just driving her in a limo, and he's an idiot. And so he's, like, making conversation, and he sees that she's nervous, and so he's, like, driving along. He's like, what's the matter? A little nervous about the flight? And she's like, something, something like that. And, and then he's, as he's driving, he turns around and he's like, you know, statistically, they say you're more likely to die on the way to the airport, <laughs> like in a head-on collision. And like all these cars, the camera's showing them all like swerving to get out of the way. And, and she's like, can you like watch the road? And he's like, you're right. Like there's a lot of bad drivers out there. And, uh, and he turns around. Uh, that's exact. that's what this Pharisee is in this story. And that's what we look like when we disparage people because of their sin. That's, like what we, that's what we look like when we refuse to acknowledge what's going on in our hearts, even if our lives look pretty good. And when we do that, we're demonstrating our deep-rooted sin, our pride. And Jesus is teaching that if you look at your life and you think like you deserve to be in with God, that's the first like, indication that you're actually out with God. 
Uh, if you think all you owe is two months' wages and you can work it off and it'll be okay, you'll never uh, understand why God would have to come and die for you. And so God's message, if you're in it, maybe you're a kind of churchy person. Maybe you've been grown up in the church. Maybe uh, you have a pretty good-looking life. Uh, God's message for you is you'll never outgrow your need of his grace. You'll never outgrow your need of his grace. So as you think about growing and holiness and love for God and turning away from sin, you need to think of those things uh, as effects of something taking place in your heart. So growing in holiness uh, has to do with seeing your sin for what it is and trusting Jesus with it, confessing it instead of covering it up. Um, So the gospel is different than anything. This gospel that Jesus reveals is different uh, because in this gospel, the love is a fruit. Uh, It comes from a changed life. It comes from being forgiven. It comes when you realize I'm better than no one, especially not this prostitute here. And yet I've been accepted by Jesus. So how do you know you're like Simon the Pharisee, if you're like Simon the Pharisee, uh, if you don't have patience when people mess up? If you're a very critical person, if you frequently say things like, oh, can you believe she fill in the blank? Oh, what is wrong with people? How, how could he fill in the blank? Uh, if you think all you need to do to kind of get your life straight is check off a couple boxes. Uh, people think you must be in big trouble if you've got all these sins to confess. And like the Bible takes sins very seriously. Sin can destroy you. It's bad. But Jesus is teaching that there's an even bigger danger, which is if you can't think of sins to confess. And this is where the religious guy and the most religious people, a lot of the religious people and a lot of the really secular people see eye to eye because they both say the problem's out there. It couldn't possibly be right here in my own heart. And this is why we want to be a community. One reason in our UF, we want it to be a place where we know each other and we live life together because it's hard to know what's really going on in your heart until you're forced to like interact with people and love them and live life together and the true you starts to shine. Uh, so we want RUF to be a place where we can learn this about ourselves and grow. Uh, so the point is that the woman ends up with Jesus and we don't know what happens to Simon the Pharisee. It doesn't say. And so we come to a new understanding of God now. Uh, God's the lender who cancels debts. That's the point you need to hear whether your life looks more like a prostitute's life or whether it looks more like the Pharisee, the the religious person's life. Uh, At the end of the story, Jesus tells the woman that her sins are forgiven. And everyone who's there is like, what is Jesus talking about? You can't just say so. Like, you can't just say they're forgiven. Like, they understand. Think about how a debt is canceled. Does it just go up in smoke? Does it just disappear? No. When a debt is canceled, that means that the lender pays the debt himself. And so when Jesus tells this woman, your sins are forgiven, he's looking ahead to the cross. Uh, he can forgive, first of all, because he is God. He's the one who's actually being sinned against. And because he's willing to bear the cost. The cost is an infinite cost. Because what the Bible reveals about God is that he's a lover. If you read through the Bible, what you'll see is that God creates a world in love. He didn't need us, but he was overflowing with love. And so 
he made us. And as the Bible goes on, God starts to reveal more about his character, so much so that the prophets start saying thing like, things like, uh, your maker is your husband. God is your husband, actually. And so when we believe lies, like, God doesn't love me. He couldn't possibly love someone like me. He doesn't want what's best for me. I don't need to listen to him. Look at my life. I'm doing okay. When we think like that, what that is really is adultery. It's cosmic adultery. And what every adulterer deserves to hear is, okay, go. Be gone. Have nothing more to do with my love. You want to leave? Go away forever. The love of God, though, is a love that pursues even adulterers. And it pursues them through, first of all, forgiving what they have done. Uh, But it can't just go away, right? Like a debt doesn't just vanish. And so the debt is paid by Jesus. And, And to Jesus, the eternal son of God, the father says, be gone. Get out. You want it out? Leave. Have nothing more to do with my love. And what it looks like is Jesus suffocating to death on a cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see how he took on the debt? The debt of being cast out forever. And he did it so we could be forgiven, so we could be brought back. And you know what happens when you get brought back? You become a lover. You become a big-time lover, and it can't happen any other way. Uh, The reality is, in this story, both the religious guy and the prostitute are both big debtors. Like, the parable is kind of about perceived debt. Uh, They both cast themselves out, and Jesus is saying, there's still room for you, though, in my love. I love debtors. I love adulterers. I even love obnoxious, religious, judgmental people. I love them all. My love can't help but be unleashed on great sinners. And if that becomes your story, then love will just grow out of you like fruit on a tree. And living for God and loving God and loving people won't be something you have to do or else it'll be something you get to do because you can't help but to. And so the only question is, what will you do with your freedom to love? How will you put God's love on display? How can this community this year put this kind of love on display on this campus? So um, let's close in praying that God would do that in our hearts and in this group this year, and then we'll sing our last song. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with hearts that are twisted and backwards and We need a lot of help. We pray that you would give it. We pray that you would heal our hearts, forgive our sins, and make us into lovers. Pray that you would make RUF into a group that shows your love. Pray that we would all know uh, the depth of your forgiveness tonight and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.